Well, good evening. My Bible is going to be opened up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. You can be opening your Bible up there as well. We're going to spend pretty much our whole time together in studying from that passage. Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending most of our time. I've been given the phrase, new heights I'm gaining every day. It's really interesting, as made mention, we're at the very end of your summer series. I think there's just one more to go after uh, this Wednesday night. But yet the phrase of this that I've been given isn't at the end of the song or even close to the end of the song. It's at the very beginning. It is basically the second line of the song. And what I love is the fact it's a song and a line Every single one of us tonight has uttered in God's presence aloud. All of us have done that. That's the power of song. That's important when we're praising God together, when we're singing to one another, when we're doing that and God is here and God is listening. And there are often times we are promising God things. We are proclaiming God in many ways. And we've got to be cognizant of that because that's something each of us have done already. In this phrase, new heights I'm gaining every day, a phrase that we have uttered and now we have an incredible opportunity to meditate on that phrase for a moment to make sure it is something I was serious about. It's something we've uttered already, but is that a reality in my life? Is it something that I'm doing? Is it something as a Christian that I am pressing forward? Well, that's what we're going to spend our time thinking about. I'm going to ask you to do some honesty checking tonight. We're going to ask you to look into your heart a little bit to make sure we are pushing forward in our Christian walk. Several, several months ago, I was in a conversation with a good friend of mine, and uh, this uh, good friend of mine is a doctor, and he's a pretty serious fellow a lot of the times. He does have a good sense of humor, but he's a pretty serious guy, and he's got a pretty serious job. And we were in a conversation, and the conversation was at that time about medical acronyms. And I'm sure I brought up some ridiculous, silly point that the medical field, they have an acronym for everything, and he was trying to explain some of that. And I don't really remember exactly how we got onto that subject or even why we were talking about it now. None of that really makes a big difference. For you, I'll let you know, if you're beginning to think, well, man, that Jeremy guy, he's having these high-level scholarly conversations with academics and medical professionals. That must mean he himself is a highly academic and scholarly fellow. I'm going to tell you, that's simply not the case. I'm going to probably think back to that moment, and I was probably, as he was telling me what each of these acronyms mean in the medical field, I was probably throwing out made-up words and terms that made more sense in my mind. I don't remember exactly how any of that happened, except for one acronym that we were talking about triggered my preacher brain. Well, the preachers here in the audience know what I'm talking about. You hear something or you see something and immediately you're hit with what an incredible sermon that would be. And that was one of the acronyms that I got from him. And the conversation 
surrounded the acronym FTT. And he said, oftentimes, or most often, that acronym would be used at the top of a chart of an infant or a child. And he said it would, put, it would be put at the very top because it is something that has to be seen immediately because it is something that is an immediate problem and has to be dealt with right away. Now, I've got up here on the screen what that acronym means, FTT, Failure to Thrive. That's an immediate problem for a child, for a baby, for an infant, a physical problem that you're not eating or they're not growing. Something is a problem here, and it is immediately a problem. Now, you're probably already making the application in your mind. We're going to take that idea in what was a physical kind of thing on the top of that medical chart, and for us, make it spiritual. To make sure at the top of our spiritual chart is not written FTT. That here is someone, Jeremy, when God is looking at me and he's looking at my spiritual chart, at the top of that is someone who has a failure to thrive. That is an immediate problem. But again, what a great opportunity we have tonight that we're able to think through some of those things. And it may be that you are. You do have FTT at the top of your chart. But what a great opportunity we have to think about that and do something even about it tonight. Hebrews chapter 6. I ask you to be Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start there, but I want to start for us at the end. We're going to end here in this passage. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, that verse tells us that you do not become sluggish. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I use the New King James Version. That's what I have here on the screen. The NIV, instead of the word sluggish, uses the word lazy. And I like that because I understand it. And it is something, at least spiritually, none of us want to be. If I were just to go around tonight... I won't. We don't have the time to do that. But if I were just to go around and I were to ask you spiritually, do you want to be labeled as spiritually lazy? And I would just work my way around the room. Do you? Do you want to be spiritually lazy? Do you want to be spiritually And I would just work my way around the room. There's no one of us that would say, you know what? I do. I do want to be spiritually lazy. I do. That's exactly what I want. I've been thinking about it, and that's exactly the way that I want to be viewed. That's exactly the way that I want others to see me when they look at me and my spirituality. And certainly even God, when He looks at me, that's exactly what I want. I want to be labeled spiritually lazy. Not one of us wants that. Not a one of us. So we've got to make sure that isn't the case. And that's where Hebrews helps us. There's an incredible passage given to us in Hebrews. We're going to start really in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, and we're going to roll into chapter 6 and verse 12. We do kind of have an, uh, not an unfortunate, I can't think of a better word right now. Unfortunate was the word that popped into my brain. I've already said it out loud, so I guess we'll go with it. Uh, That chapter break there, chapter 6. I mean, you have a a chapter break. Sometimes we see that chapter and our mind immediately shifts. Well, here's a new chapter. That must be something brand new is happening. And a lot of times that's the case. 
But these chapter breaks were, were added by the publishers of the Bibles that we have in front of us as this text would have been given and written by the Hebrew writer as he is concluding his thoughts here at the end of Hebrews chapter 5. The beginning of Hebrews chapter 6, he is on the same journey that he has. And the journey is disappointment. Because we're going to read this text, and he's going to make the point in Hebrews chapter 5 that there are some serious things that he wants to talk to them about, specifically the heavenly priesthood of Jesus. He says, I want to talk to you about that. And I want to write to you about Jesus as a priest and the significance of that. I want to deliver that level of teaching to you. But he says it's not teaching that you're ready for. You should be ready for that kind of teaching, but you aren't. And he digs into that a little bit on why it is that they're not ready for it and, helpful for us, ways in which they can make themselves ready. When I was thinking about this phrase, new heights I'm gaining every day, the thoughts that pop into your mind, thoughts of growth, thoughts of maturity, thoughts of progress, thoughts of pushing forward, all of those things, this passage came to mind. Because that's what the Hebrew writer is doing with these brethren. Pushing them, pressing them, getting them to think about moving forward, growing, maturing. And so what happens in Hebrews chapter 5, really verses 11 through 14, the end of that chapter, he's going to share with us some marks of spiritual immaturity. And here's what I want you to do as we study through this together. Well, you don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to elbow the one sitting next to you. But I want you to be thinking of you, not your neighbor. I want you to be thinking of you. And I want you to be honest about some of the things that we're going to see. And I want you to be thinking about your life and your spiritual walk to see if maybe you fit or showcase one of these marks of spiritual immaturity. And if you do, don't panic. Don't panic. Because the Hebrew writer is going to help us with that. And so quickly I want to work through this passage together. We're going to talk about some of these marks of spiritual immaturity and then into chapter 6, the push that he gives us to grow, to mature, if you will. So let's read this text together. We're just going to read 11 through 14 of Hebrews chapter 5. We'll talk about those things and then we'll move into the good stuff in chapter 6. Let's read that together. I'm in Hebrews chapter 5 beginning in verse 11. He says, "...of whom we have much to say..." Uh, talking about uh, the, uh, Jesus as the high priest. Uh, but it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now there are a couple of marks of spiritual immaturity that I want us to spend some time talking about. And the first is this idea of being dull to the Word. 
Now, earlier in the book, Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4, he talks about the danger of the Christian who drifts away. You're not taking earnest heed to the things that we've said, and if you don't do that, you're going to drift away. And as a result of that, you start to see this idea of dull of hearing. Now, to help us to see what that is, let's take a look at a passage the opposite of that. So hold your finger in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be right back there here in just a moment. But look over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. It's a passage that I love. It helps us with what what is this dull of hearing? What does that look like? How does that showcase itself? Well, it helps us to understand that when we see what the opposite of that looks like. And Paul gives us that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, in the middle of that verse, you pick up this idea. You, and talking to the brethren there, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. Here's the phrase I love. You welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. I love that phrase. He says, you you took the Word of God, you you received it. We can see that, we can understand that. You received the Word of God, you received it as it is from God, not from man, but it is that phrase that he uses. You welcomed it, that I love. Because you're able to see the openness. It's so much more than you, you read the Word of God. That's good. We've got to do that. We've got to read it, right? That's good. That's a good place to begin. We, we read it. But that phrase is so much more than just reading it. Not just that you re- read it or received it. You welcomed it. You were open to it. You wanted it. You wanted it. There isn't a one among, maybe there is, I won't, I, won't answer, I won't say this for you. I say there's a huge majority of us that we can conjure up a time in our, in our minds where we were in our houses and, and maybe we were eating dinner or we were watching a show or we were doing something important or maybe we were doing something not so important, whatever the case may be, and somebody knocks on the door. And you look out to see who it is, and it's somebody selling something, or you know, somebody you're just not interested in talking to or seeing at that exact moment. And you understand, I'm just not super welcoming right now. And what do we do? Well, we turn off all the lights and close the shades, right? That's what we do. Everybody, we tell the kids, everybody stay quiet, right? That's no. Or we understand the difference. Outside of it, someone is knocking on your door. Maybe you're not expecting them, but it's a friend you haven't seen in a long time. And you swing that door open and you give them a big old hug. We understand how welcoming that is. That's the phrase that's being used here by Paul. You receive the word of God. You welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth. And so when we get this idea back to Hebrews chapter 5 about being dull to the word... It really becomes, I think, one of the earliest symptoms of spiritual regression. That's what we're trying to avoid. We're looking for spiritual progress, not regress. 
And I think one of the first symptoms to spiritual regression is this idea of being dull to the Word. So what does that look like? Well, it comes up quickly in thoughts. Maybe you're here right now, and you're like, man, I've never heard such dull preaching in all my life. I'd prefer anybody up there but that guy. Or I'd prefer nobody up there at all. Or these Bible classes that we have are dull. Anything spiritual at all just doesn't get me that excited. When we start to have thoughts like that, does that sound like welcoming? No, it sounds like this. Ultimately, it is a mark of spiritual immaturity when we have those kinds of thoughts. The Hebrew writer goes a little bit deeper into the idea of this idea of the spiritual regression, if you will. And he makes the point in verses 12 and 13 uh, about instead of needing to grow or, or being able to grow, you're just not, you're not ready for that. You're not doing that. You're stepping backwards. You're not progressing. You're regressing. And that's the picture that's given here. It's not a picture of standing still. We, we try to do that. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. I think sometimes we try to stand still. If I can just hold pat as a Christian, that's certainly a lot better than regressing as a Christian. We know that's bad. We know that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. But if I can just stand pat, that sounds pretty good, right? It's like the C in some class. That, that sounds good. It's not a B or an A. That's really good, but it's not a D or an F either. It's right there in the middle. If I can just be that, that has to be good enough. Well, there is no middle. There is no standing pat. It is progressing or regressing. Those are the only two options. Those are the only two things that happen. And so you have this incredible analogy given to us. I'll do a quick aside. Uh, do you ever find yourself, I find myself doing this all the time, you, you read an analogy given to us in Scripture, in the New Testament specifically, and sometimes I'll read that analogy and I'll think, that is a perfect analogy. I, understand, I can see that. So, and you're like, well, it is perfect. It's an analogy God gave us. It is a perfect analogy. That's what this is. It is a perfect analogy. We all can see it. We all get it. The danger with this passage is we read this analogy and we start to paint a, a, a picture in our mind of little babies and how, how cute they are and these babies, you know, they're, they're drinking their milk. That's so fantastic. And then we'll, we'll, we'll conjure up a picture of an adult person and they're cutting into a big old T-bone steak and they're shoving that in their mouth. That, that looks phenomenal as well. But that's not the picture that's given here. Th those are the pictures we conjure up in our mind. And, and we like to think that, yeah, there's a baby made mention of. And, and there's an, an adult person made mention of. But the picture that's given is much more sad. And I want you to understand, much more disturbing than you would really think. Because I want you to think about this analogy that's given to us in chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. He says, this is where you are. You should be cutting into that T-bone and eating that steak. You should be doing that. But the picture he gives them, he says, that isn't you. 
That should be you as an adult person. But what you are doing is you are regressing. And you're going back to the food, the milk that a baby eats. Now, I want you to understand how shocking of an analogy this would have been. For us, maybe we put into our minds that, oh, an adult person, and they're eating their mashed potatoes now, or they're eating you know, their smashed up peas, or they're opening a, a jar of baby food, and they're eating that, and isn't that sad? It is, but that's not the picture that's given here. The picture that the Hebrew writer says is the, the way that you are acting is you are acting like an adult person that is back on their mother's breast Drinking the milk. That is a disturbing thought and a sad picture that's given. There's nothing cute about that. There's nothing pretty about that. There is disappointment in a phrase like that. He says there should have been progress. There should have been pushing forward. But you're simply not ready. And you're not ready, thirdly, because you're just not skilled with the Word. He gets really down to it in verse 14, where he says, you know, solid food belongs to those who are full age, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, they're able to exercise their senses. Their discernment is where it needs to be. They're able to make good decisions, wise, adult spiritual decisions. And he's looking at these folks and he's saying, this isn't where you are, but it's where you need to be. You see, the idea of our thoughts tonight it isn't about making sure that we're not regressing. We need to think about that. And that's where the Hebrew writer begins. But for us, and certainly where we're going to go and where we're going to conclude, is, is that understanding that I've got to be pushing forward. I've got to be constantly going and on the go spiritually. And that's where chapter 6 is. We're going to read verses uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 12 together. I want you to read along with me, and I want you to be looking for it. I want you to be looking for the principles and the applications, maybe opposite even of where we've been, that the Hebrew writer talks about pushing us forward. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the thought that he continues, we just read verse 14, but the thought continues this, therefore, because this is where you are, 11 through 14, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits." For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, put Him to an open shame, 
For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end it is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work, labor of love which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's a couple of things I want to point out from this passage principle-wise that I think can help us. And the first is an understanding that God is calling us to grow. He's calling us to grow. He wants us to grow. This phrase that you have in chapter 6 and verse 1, the idea of going on to maturity. Let us then go on. And we understand that's what growth is. Think about back in school. Think about when you were in school, when you were in kindergarten, when you were in preschool, and you begin to learn your letters. And you learn A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and all the letters. You learn all the letters. Why do we do that? Why do we learn the letters? Well, we learn the letters so that we can arrange them to read a word. Right? Well, why do we learn words? Well, we learn words so that we can arrange those and read a sentence. Well, why do we need to read a sentence? Well, we need to read a sentence so that we can arrange those to be able to read a book or to be able to read an article or be able to read anything at all. So you learn your ABCs early on so that you can read words, so that then you can read sentences, so that then you can read books, etc. You use the basics to go on to other things. And that's what God has done for us. He has enabled us to progress in that same way. As we yield to Him, we receive or welcome His Word, and we act upon it. What He gives us here at the very beginning of chapter 6 are these six foundational truths. We're not going to go into all of these things, but He's giving. He says, here, you have these foundational principles, and He makes the point, you have laid the foundation... It's time to move on. And sometimes that's what we need. That's what we need sometimes. And that can happen in lots of different ways. We can do that for ourselves. Right here as you're sitting and you're thinking and you're being honest and you're evaluating your own heart, you can do that for yourself. You can tell yourself. The foundation is laid. It is time to move forward. You can do that. We can help each other do that. The elders here can help you do that. The evangelists can help you do that. The Bible class teachers can help you do that. We can help each other do that. That's how we encourage one another. The foundation is laid. It is time to move forward. And that's what the Hebrew writer is doing here. The foundation has already been put in place. It's time to move forward. But he reminds them that even though they are moving forward, there remains danger. And so you've got to be careful. 
I think about just in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 6. You can look there again. All of these personal experiences of salvation that he makes mention of. You are enlightened. You have tasted. You have became partakers. They have experienced all of the good things that the Word of God promises. He's talked about all of that. But take note then of the phrasing that he uses about how far you can fall. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. They put themselves into a place that they are now crucifying again the Son of God, putting Him to an open shame. Someone who knowingly and publicly rejects Christ. I think the point that he's making here is that this level can happen if you aren't one who is pushing on to maturity. Because if you're not progressing, you are regressing. And we all know regressing can happen very, very quickly. And so two more things. He makes the point. Maturity then shows in our fruitfulness. He talks about this. The field proves itself. It showcases itself by good and useful fruit. The writer even makes note of some of the fruits that are made mention of. Look in verses 7 through 10. Their love for God. They're ministering to the other saints. They're continuing to minister. All of those ideas about pushing. And that's the idea that we're going to close with. I want you to think about this closing. We started there. But the idea is that maturity demands diligent effort. It demands it. It demands diligent effort. Someone once told me a long time, I don't remember who it was. Um, maybe I don't remember because I'm just trying to push that out of my mind to ultimately just take credit for it. That's maybe what I'm going to do. If I cannot remember who said it for long enough, I think I can get myself to a point. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I think maybe soon I'm going to be able just to say, I I said once because I've said it so many times. But I will stay. Somebody had told me an analogy about the life of a Christian. Because so often we we think that we can just stay still. That's the key to everything. And we sometimes even use Scripture to support that. We'll point to Jesus as our anchor. And we'll say, well, that's what an anchor does. You, You toss in an anchor and it causes you just to stand still, right? That's biblical. Well, we're losing sight of where that anchor's going, right? We're losing sight. We we need to put our anchor in Jesus so that wherever we go, he's right there with us. That's the idea there. But the analogy that I was once told is, is think about the Christian life of being in a rowboat. And when you're in a rowboat, you have to constantly, constantly be rowing. And he told me once, the moment, the millisecond, the very moment that you stop rowing a rowboat, you're drifting. 
doesn't happen over a little bit of time. It happens immediately. If you stop rowing a rowboat, you are drifting. We've already talked about the dangers of that in Hebrews chapter 2. And so I love that idea because it then demands diligent effort. It demands it. And that brings us there to that passage that we started with. That's not what laziness is. Laziness is no effort. Laziness is apathy. New heights I'm gaining every day. That's the idea. Why don't you look at the book of Proverbs with me? Proverbs chapter 24. There's a great passage that I think is, is so reminiscent of this idea in Hebrews chapter 6. The very end of Proverbs chapter 24. The wise writer here is talking about the dangers of laziness. And it is so straight. And it is so blunt. You just simply can't miss it. The wise writer will say this in Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 30. He says, I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. What a powerful passage that is. There's so much wisdom in that. Certainly there's physical applications about our life and our our efforts in the physical world that we're surrounded by, but certainly spiritual applications there. Because maybe that's where your spiritual heart is, full of thorns, full of nettles, a stone wall that's broken down because you have been spiritually lazy. And the writer here in Proverbs says, ah, look at that. And I just, I don't understand how we can get to a place like that. Well, I want to close five minutes, paying close attention. Oh, man, look at that. You did say I would hear it. You're exactly right. Let's close with this. 2 Peter chapter 1. When you think about a, a passage about... Uh, maturity and growth. Um, one of the great passages you can think of is there in Second Peter, specifically Second Peter chapter one. Really, I want you to understand the entirety of the book of Second Peter is about growth. Now, oftentimes, when we think about you know a, an apostle or a writer of epistles that that is giving their final words of encouragement or admonition, we 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 often think of only and rightly so. When Paul writes to Timothy there in 2 Timothy, and he makes the point about his life and, and the, the end of it coming, and it's written with incredible urgency for sure. But that's what 2 Peter is. And sometimes we miss that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says there in verse 14, pretty bluntly, that, that shortly I, I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed. So he makes the point that this, I'm coming to the end. 
And so 2 Peter is written with incredible urgency, and he wants the people that is reading this epistle to understand something, and he concludes it. The very end of this, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he gives them that final admonition, grow. I want you to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm looking for. And in the face of all of that, you have that incredible passage uh, again, another visual story of growth. We have there in chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7 where he talks about you've got this incredible foundation of faith and then you add to that faith virtue and to that virtue knowledge and then self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. You're adding these things and you're growing, you're maturing. It's easy for us. It's easy for us to see. But what's powerful here is after that, he gives us the why. He certainly gives us the what, and he even gives us the how. The word diligent is found multiple times in that one chapter. But as we close, let's focus on the why. Why do we grow? Why is that so important? Let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. And he has forgotten that he, is, he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, why? Why do that? Well, if you don't grow, if you don't mature, it is short-sighted if you do that. Your focus is not where it needs to be. He says you are forgetful. And what I find interesting, we, we miss this sometimes because we spend our time on the short-sighted part, but we miss the end of that, that we are forgetful. Well, if I don't grow, what am I forgetting? Well, he says you're forgetting that you were cleansed from your sins. You're forgetting even what Jesus had done for you. Who wants to be there? Who thinks that they could be there? Oftentimes we'd see that and we're thinking, I, I'd never do, I'd never do that. Well, that's someone who doesn't grow. You're forgetting Jesus. You're pushing him aside. Verse 10 tells us that if we grow, we'll never stumble. If you're diligent to make your calling and election sure, if you're adding to your faith virtue and your virtue knowledge and etc., if you abound in these things, all that's given to us in this chapter, the word is given, we will never stumble, fall into misery, become wretched. Is that something that we're interested in? It's something I'm interested in. That's for the one who grows. And then finally, verse 11, the one who grows an entrance into the everlasting kingdom, living victoriously in blessed anticipation for what comes ahead. That is there for the ones who is reaching for new heights spiritually every day. What a powerful thought. And do not forget a proclamation that you have already promised to God tonight.